a series that we started two weeks ago that we're calling Bold. Somebody say Bold. Ooh, ooh, you guys put a little extra emphasis in that bold, right? In this series, we're diving into this topic because it's at the very core of our DNA, our makeup. Now, I'm not talking about the molecular level. I'm talking about the divine nature of the almighty God who has made you in his image. Come on, give God some praise if you believe that. <laughs> Proverbs 28.1, we're not going to put that up on the screen, but Proverbs 28.1 says that the righteous are as Bold as a lion. See, within you and me is the capacity, is the goods, it's the power, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead to step out and do greater things. To be bold, to advance this kingdom of God, to see God move in ways that you've never imagined or thought are possible. But it takes us as believers to take bold steps. It really does take us, takes us as believers to take bold steps. And so we're not just talking about being bolder followers of Christ. We're also talking and more specifically talking about being a bolder church. Today, I want to talk to you from the heart of God on the topic of bold love. Bold love. Tell somebody, bold love. Tell somebody else, bold love. Now, as we're, as we're kind of, you know, sharing that word with one another, let's really think about what bold love it's supposed to look like. What does bold love look like? Right? As we've stated previously, we believe that God has called us to be a bold church. We believe that God has commissioned us to share this gospel to over 30,893 people in this city and beyond. I mean, now for some of us, we go, yeah, okay, sure, right. But Jesus said that his church, his people are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Jesus said that we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth. God's word declares that we, wherever we set our feet, that he has given it to us as territory. And so we believe with all our heart and we take bold steps in that regard because we believe that God has declared this city, this region and beyond to be kingdom country. Come on and give God some praise. And so because we believe that, We've continually taken bold steps over the last 10 years, but now we know that we are called to evolve, that we have to take greater steps, bigger steps, bolder steps. And how many of you know that to do this, this is not possible without a genuine love for God that transcends into a genuine love for people? It's a genuine love for people. Now, Think of it this way. What good is it to say Jesus loves you? What good is it to be a church of people that declare Jesus loves you? To wear all these really cool t-shirts with all these creative designs that say Jesus loves you. What good is it to say Jesus loves you? What, what good is it to declare a scripture that says Jesus loves you? What good is it to give somebody a track or serve somebody and say Jesus loves you if we don't also step out and demonstrate that we love you? Because in the same way God showed up in the form of a man, he has not stopped doing that. There's a reason why there's you, why there's me, why there's us. And so as we're wrestling with this and we're talking about bold love, what should bold love look like for people far from God? What should that bold love look like towards them? What should bold love for a city look like? How should bold love 
impact our plans, our prayers, and the preparations that we make to serve over 30,000 people? What should that look like? And most importantly, friend, what should bold love look like in you and me? Think about this. To be known as a body of believers that boldly not only declares the gospel, but lives it. What would that bold love look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Because there was a day when Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. He was traveling from Judea. Somebody say Judea. Judea. To Galilee. Say Galilee. Galilee. So it's point A to point B. And if you look at this on a map, there's a direct line from Judea to Galilee. There was a path. That was sure and secure, but this was no ordinary walk. You see, on this particular trip, Jesus took a detour. It would be the equivalent to what Pastor Annette and Dory would do. Ooh, let's go there. Let's go see that. Let's stop over here and go there. It's the reason why we are now flying more than ever. We're not taking detours on a plane. But John chapter 4 verse 4 tells us something about this detour. It says that he, meaning Jesus, needed to go through Samaria. Now notice what it doesn't say. He needed to go to Samaria. It says he needed to go through Samaria. And we must wrestle with what this actually means. Because this was not an idea for Jesus. This was not a casual spur of the moment decision like, ooh, let's go there. Just for feels and for ha-has. No, we have to understand what this actually means when Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. We have to go through Samaria. What was this need that drove that. What we see is that Jesus had a need. Going to Samaria became his need. And this word need in the original language speaks of a need resulting from the nature of a thing. Think of breathing. Take a deep breath. Isn't that interesting? You never have to be told to breathe. Do you know why we breathe without thinking? Because it's a need. It's a need. And I don't know about you, I've actually been there where I had a moment in my life where I could not breathe. I ended up in the hospital with a double pneumonia, and I don't wish that on my worst enemy. To not be able to breathe, to question, am I going to just get one more breath? And so when this word is used in the scriptures in various different areas of the Bible, it's establishing a need acted on because of the counsel of God. And so Jesus gets this revelation, is what the scripture is saying, that I have to go through Samaria. If I'm going to go to Galilee, I've got to step into Samaria. I have to go there. And it became a need. It became a driving force. In other words, he was compelled to go there, a place where he was not wanted. You see, Jews and Samaritans had beef. 
Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're thinking about me. You're a little bit younger. That's okay. There was a problem that existed between them. It was a no-no for Jesus, for any Jewish person to go to Samaria. In fact, they avoided each other like the plague. You see, they worshiped differently. They believed differently. They believed in the same God, but everything outside of that was different. And so Jesus was going to a place. He saw the need to go through this place where he was not welcome, where he was not wanted, where he had no relationship with these people, where it was frowned upon for him to even consider passing by. And so once there, we find that Jesus arrives at a well, and it appears that Jesus is thirsty. He arrives at a well during the noonday hour. In other words, it's the hottest time of the day in this area, in this region. This is the Middle East. And so Jesus arrives there seemingly for some water. But as we will learn shortly, though he had nothing to draw with, and he knew that no one was supposed to be there. I'll tell you why. Because in those days, for whatever reason, women were the one who would pick up these 30-gallon to 50-gallon clay jars. Give it up for strong women. Come on, give it up for some strong women. Don't worry about it. We got this now. You don't have to carry that. We'll get the water. But in those days, the women used to go get the water. And women were very smart. We don't go in the middle of the day in the Middle East. It is burning hot. No, we go in the cool of the day, so we go in the morning. And we catch up and we talk about life. And so Jesus knew that no one was supposed to be there, but he knew that this day would be different. You see, Jesus wasn't there for water. He was there for someone. And when he went there, he went in search of a Samaritan woman who was there to draw water. But as we'll soon see, she was seeking more than water. You see, she would go there daily during the noontime when nobody was there, which tells us that she was hiding something. She was trying to keep her distance from people for a reason. And Jesus shows up at a time where it was highly unlikely that she would run into anyone. And Jesus was there on purpose. And so she's there to draw water, and Jesus, having an intention towards this woman, wanting to engage her, because this woman was wanting more than water. The scripture reveals in John 4 that there was a need that this woman had. You see, she was living with shame. The scripture infers that this woman lived a life of dysfunction. That this woman needed refreshment. She was seeking renewal. She was seeking relief. And yet it tells us, it shows us by, by, by way of example that she was heartbroken. She had a history of dysfunction. And she also had a a path that she had trailblazed of broken relationships, broken marriages. And so Jesus meets her in this place, and he doesn't pull out the Torah. He doesn't pull out a soapbox or a crate. He doesn't pull out a megaphone. He doesn't go, <coughs> guys, go get me a crowd. And he doesn't say, you're all going to hell. In fact, he doesn't even quote the scriptures. What Jesus does is he says, can I get a glass of water? Can I get a, can I get a cup of water? And this woman, understanding the times and seeing 
whom she perceives to be an enemy before her says, you are bugging. <laughs> we don't do this. Samaria was the hood. I'm sorry. All right. no, no. Let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I'm just, we don't know that. But Jesus is there with this woman, and he says, give me a cup of water. And she says, we don't do this. You're a, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We have nothing in common. We do not relate. We do not talk. We do not share the same table. We don't touch the same cup. You believe in God a certain way. I believe in God another way. You say we're supposed to worship this way. We know we're supposed to worship that way. You say we're supposed to go here for worship. We know we're supposed to worship here on this mountain. And so there's these differences that exist there. But Jesus, nonetheless, is not deterred by these differences. In fact, Jesus is drawn to her because of them. And so she says, she points out all these differences, and Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you for water, you'd be asking me for water. And she says, hmm, you don't even have a cup. <laughs> you have nothing to draw with, Jesus. How about that one? You don't have a cup. In fact, you don't even have waters. You see, are you saying that you're greater than our forefather Jacob who dug this well himself with his own hands? And Jesus says to her, oh, baby, 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 baby. Sweetheart, you're not getting it. If you partook of the water that I'm offering you, you would never thirst again. You would never have to carry the weights that you carry that are symbolic of that jar that you keep dragging around. No, what I give you would refresh you, it would renew you, it would restore you, it would revitalize you. It would give you a brand new perspective on life. In fact, it would lead you into a new life. And so she says, I'll take some of that water. Give me some water. I want that water. And he says, sweetheart, Go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. In fact, you've had five husbands, and now the man that you're with isn't your husband. Now, let's just pause there for a moment, because some of us, we're going, that's, that's bad, Jesus. That's, that's, that's not loving Jesus. That's condemning Jesus. That, that, that's not a good God. You see, Jesus wasn't condemning this woman. Jesus was shedding light for a reason. To help her see her need. To help her discover her thirst. And so Jesus points this out to her and she says, Ah, I can tell. I discern that you're a prophet of some sort. Like, you have some insight from God. She says, but that's all right. What you know, you might know something, but when Messiah comes, when the Savior, the promised Savior that God declares in the, in the Holy Scriptures, when he comes, he'll tell us all things. He'll clarify everything. And he says to her, sweetheart, I'm here. I am he. In the midst of this encounter, this woman gets a revelation, and she realizes that she has just encountered God despite the fact that her failed encounters have taken place. Her shame is still there, and yet 
God drew near. And God proposed to quench her every thirst, her every need. This blows her mind away, and the scripture gives us evidence that she goes to Samaria. She goes back. In the midst of this, what we begin to see here is that on a practical level, this demonstrates how we, as children of God, are supposed to lead our lives. More importantly, this shows us that as his church, both corporately and individually, we can boldly love over 30,000 people and beyond if we would simply go where people are. If we would simply quench a thirst as opposed to pointing out problems. Friends, what we see here is that Jesus took the opportunity to boldly love a woman. He didn't go there for a need. He went there because he loved her. So I want to share some things with you about this bold love that we're talking about by way of example that we see from Jesus. And the first thing I want to share with us is that bold love compels us to seek the unlikely. Tell somebody, bold love compels you to seek the unlikely. No, I want you to tell somebody, yeah, you, yeah, you, who, me, yeah, you, yeah, not me, no, you, you, yes, us, all of us. Bold love, God's kind of love operating in our lives, it creates a need in us where we have to engage with the unlikely. We want to. The scripture shows that Jesus was intent on going through Samaria. He was not casually passing by, but he was compelled to go there with a divine assignment. He was not there just because of this woman's need. He was there because of his love for her. His love for her. And that, that, that demonstrates something to us, that we're not called to act out of need. As Christians, we're called to act because we love. See, if you serve someone simply because of their need, that's about your need to feel good about what you're doing. Now, if the shoe fits, don't wear it. Change it. And please don't get offended. You already said you love me anyway. And if you haven't, this is your first time, don't worry about it. You'll get around to that. I'm going to tell you why. Because at the end of the day, our commitment is not to massage anyone's feelings. Our commitment is simply to just convey the truth. It's the scriptures. It's the gospel. We're not giving you opinions here. Right? But in any event, Jesus saw through the lens of love. And his love for her clarified, and it clarifies for us that when we engage with people boldly, out of love, it doesn't just compel us to go to them. It compels them to come to Jesus. See, this thing, love, is more than a feeling. I like the way an old Tina Turner hit used to go, What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a second hand? That's what she thought. She was digging at something, but she didn't complete that. See, love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. It's a decision. It's an intent. It's an action 
It's an act upon an intent. And this thing, love, is more than a feeling and it's more than what we say. See, love is a language that defies all languages, all cultures, because you can be in Africa, you can be in Pakistan, you can be in Bolivia, you can be in China, you can be in Antarctica, and you demonstrate love, and it will be understood. It has potential power to impact people. See, that love compels us to go to people, but it also compels people to come to Jesus. I was recently in a conversation with a good friend of mine who's more so like a mentor to me, older gentleman. And he made this statement in our conversation. He said, what, we, what we're looking, we, we see what we're looking for. How true is that? Isn't that true? I wonder what would happen in the Hudson Valley region if we loved this city to the point that it compelled us to see and seek the unlikely. A while back, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I, I was online and I just happened to be looking for a truck. A pickup truck. I'm a pickup truck guy, right? And so I'm, I'm shopping around and I'm looking and, and I, happened to, I happened to come across this picture of an all black. Black rims, black windows, black everything. Everything was black. A black Dodge Ram, a Laramie, and I was like, oh, oh, I've never seen that truck. No one has that truck. I called my guy and I said, Howard, I want to buy this truck. He goes, it's not out on the market. I said, it's not? He says, no, we're going to have to custom build this. Now, the only reason why I was able to get this truck is because it was during a time where my used truck was, a lot, was worth a lot more than that truck. How crazy is that? So I said, I'll take that. So he tells me, we're going to have to order. We order it in August. December comes. I get this truck. And I'm like, nobody has this truck. <laughs> I get in my truck. Right? That's, that's what Bertha sounds like. Her name is Big Bertha. So Bertha's rumbling. I get in my truck, and I'm driving. And as I'm driving, lo and behold, I see my truck. I thought these weren't being made. How dare somebody buy this truck? A couple of days later, I think we were on our way to Long Island somewhere. It was a couple of hundred miles away. And we're driving, and I, and I see one Dodge Ram, black, all black, black. I think that's my truck. And I see a couple of miles later, I see another one. Then I see another one on the way. And I'm like, what is going on here? Let me tell you what was going on. The truck has always been there. But when I went in search of it, I became aware of it. What would happen if we went in search of people and we began to see people with the love of God? I guarantee you this, we would find them and we would get a hold of them. We would get a hold of them. Oops, don't worry about that chair. It'll be all right. <laughs> Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8 puts it this way. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. According to Jesus, this kingdom strategy that we see is that if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, we will receive, we will find, and doors will be open. And unfortunately, in most Christian circles, we stop 
at step one. We stop and ask. I'm praying for this city. I'm praying for people. I'm praying for people far from God. I'm praying over these situations. I'm praying about this in my life. But Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. What would be possible? What could bold love look like if we asked for a city? And then we took steps to seek this city. And then we took another step to knock on doors. Let me tell you what would happen. We would receive a city. We would find people far from God and bring them near. And we would see the kingdom of God touch this, this region in such a way where doors are opened. And people are going from dead things to life. Come on, man. Bold love compels us to love people despite our differences. Now, Jesus shows up in Samaria, and automatically what became obvious was we're different. We're very different. But Jesus wasn't moved by their differences. In fact, he was drawn to her. It didn't deter her. Why? Because differences are the doorway to divine intervention. It's where God specializes. I got a friend of mine named Jerome who's out in Lansing, Michigan. The general rule of thought amongst church planners and people that study this is, here's what they posit. Here's what they think. Here's what they, here's what they say in their expert opinion. By the way, experts can be wrong. They say, you don't plant a church in an urban context because they're not sustainable. Ten years plus, and God has been good. Come on and give God some praise. See, when God is in the midst of it, it is sustainable. When people love God to such an extent that they love people, it is sustainable. And so Jerome had this vision. He was a Christian hip-hop artist. He still is. And he was traveling the country, uh, and he was doing music, but he's from Michigan. And he, he all of a sudden begins to realize a couple of years back, almost about 10 years ago, he begins to develop this heart. He's like, man, I'm traveling this, the country, and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel, and I'm rapping, and I'm doing all this, but Lansing, I'm not touching base at home. God begins to stir his heart, and he decides we're going to do something in Lansing. And before we even plant the church, we're going to love this city. Let me tell you where they are today. Part of their ministry. 500 strong. God is doing amazing things there. But they have block pastors. Let me tell you what a block pastor is at City Life Church. A block pastor, they buy a house in a community. And then the pastor lives in that house. Now, yes, you work at the church. But part of your responsibility is this block. And you pastor this block. Can I tell you God is on the move in Lansing, Michigan like no tomorrow? Can I tell you that nothing's impossible when you choose to love people because you love God? Let me show you why this works. Watch this video real quick. What's up, Pastor Jose in Church at the Bridge? This is Pastor Jerome with City Life Lansing and Love the City. We're out here in Lansing, Michigan, and we planted several years ago a multi-ethnic, multi-class, and multi-age church. And for us, we saw the city and all of the need, the difference, 
is in people groups, the differences in cultures, and the differences in economic backgrounds, and we think this is a gap too big, how do we close it? And if we just look at the gap first, well, it can feel daunting and overwhelming. But if we remember the starting line, the commonality, that every single person is made in the image of God, and that God first loved us, and that that love is displayed in sending his son Jesus, the message translation puts it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and moved into the neighborhood. So in other words, to look at the gap and say, how are we gonna close the gap? Well, it's right there, get close. We might focus on our differences and think I'm insignificant, I can't close the gap, but friends, church, don't discount the bold love that's inside of each one of us. Love is the secret. It is the thing, the commonality that connects us. And when we get close through proximity, God can do his best work. So we pray that you'll say yes in a bold way, and we are honored to be with you. Keep going. Let's keep loving the one as God allows us to. Peace. Come on, give God some praise. I love that. How do we close the gap? The very thing that we think is the barrier is the solution. It's closeness. That's how you close it. They're both spelled the same way. We just have to see it differently. Yeah, and so we have to look past differences. We can't be moved by differences. Look, the reality is that when it comes to engaging with people that are far from God, we have differences of opinion. We have differences in belief. We have differences in perspective. But we're not different because God is close to us all. And if you and I would just simply show up and engage, here's what happens. When you show up, God shows out. God begins to work. In the lives of people just like you and me. Just the same way he showed up in your life when somebody showed up. Amen? Amen. Come on and give God some praise. The last point I want to leave you with here is that bold love compels us to see potential before we see people. Bold love compels us to see potential before we see people. I want to go back to a scripture that I, I, I overlooked real quick. But I want to show you this from scripture. Galatians chapter 3 verses 26 through 28 says this. In Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. See Jesus is the equalizer that makes us children. But I want you to see what children to God look like. It goes on to say there is neither Jew. Oh I'm sorry. For all who were. No you can go back. My bad. For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you all, say, say this with me, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, God doesn't see Hispanic, black, white, Asian. God doesn't operate according to colors. He doesn't operate according to socioeconomic levels. He operates according to one equalizer. I'm calling you to be my son and my daughter. And if you would, if we would dare to step out and find lost sons, 
lost daughters. Daughters and sons that don't realize what's in the Father's house and how good the Father is. If we would simply bridge the gap and get past differences and see potential in people, we would realize that their potential will benefit not just the kingdom, but it will change the entire spectrum of a community. Now get this. Behind every person, there's a developing story. Behind every person, there's a slew of other people that are a part in that story. Behind every person is the potential for God's power to do something incredible, life-changing, transformational. Behind every person, there's power to bring dead things to life. We read this story, this encounter of this woman with Jesus from the vantage point of a woman who was hurting, who was lonesome, who was broken, who was dysfunctional, who was tired, who was sinful, and who was thirsty. But Jesus viewed her from a different perspective. He viewed her from the story that he was writing. A story that's his story, which would determine the history of a people for ages to come. You see, Jesus engages this woman, and she realizes the Savior's here. What I've been thirsting for, what I've been longing for, has always been, he's here. He's right here, right, right before me. So the scripture says in John 4, if you, you go check it out in your own time, she goes back to Samaria. Now, here's an important point we can't miss. Remember Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. But who went back through Samaria? This woman. Don't miss what God was doing then and what God wants to do now. See, God wants to go through the city of Newburgh. God wants to go through Middletown. God wants to go through Goshen. God wants to go through Wallkill. God wants to go through Beacon. He wants to go through these places, but to go through them, he has to someone, he has to send someone to go to them. And my friend, the reason why you no longer thirst, the reason why your thirst has been quenched, the reason why you're not where you were, the reason why things are changing and now you see light at the end of the tunnel, the reason why your family's reunited, the reason why the power of God has been working in your life is because he wanted to get not just get it to you, he wants to get it through you. And that's the potential that is unleashed when a church, when a people say, I'm going to love boldly and I'm going to go after the one. Jesus went through, through Samaria by going to one. To one. Every one of us has one. They're in our homes. They're in our workplaces. They live right next to us. They live right under us. They live right above us. We see them in the supermarket. We see them when we're walking to our cars. We see them in, in, in the neighborhood, we see them at the movies, we see them everywhere we go. There's one. 
as we stand and we come to a close today, I got to give you this question. If Jesus can love a city by tapping into the potential of one, why can't we go after one? Right now in this moment, there's one that has come to mind. One neighbor, one coworker, one person, one child, one teacher, one friend, one stranger, there's one. And if that person came to your mind and your heart right now, stop looking somewhere else to go. Start with that one. Because when you touch one, you don't just touch a man, you don't just touch a woman, you don't just touch a husband, you don't just touch a wife, you don't just touch a child, you don't just touch a home. You begin to touch a building, you begin to touch a neighborhood, you begin to touch a community, and Jesus can go through and bring life. That's what we're called to, church at the bridge. That's our DNA. That's what we've been for 10 years, and that's what we will continue to be until, king, until God's kingdom is fully restored and it comes. That is our commitment. That is our bold declaration. That is our faith. And every action and everything that we do is dictated by that one, a bold love. Now, I know this is going to come across as a plug, and, hey, you take it how you want it. But last week... I introduced something that we're doing. Look, for 10 years, we have been faithful. God has done amazing things. And we have, we have seen God supernaturally multiply and take everything that we've touched and advance it. And many, many people have come to Christ, and they continue to come. It's the reason why also after Easter, Easter's the first service that we'll be going to three services. And from that point forward, we will have three services because we got too many kids, we got too many yous, and we want more yous. So that's happening as of Easter Sunday. Start inviting your friends. But what we also announced last week is our new Boulder campaign. We're taking Boulder steps. If you missed it, stop by, grab one. Just read it. Pray about it. See how God speaks to you. But I can tell you this. As for us, we will continue to take Boulder steps. Why? Because we live for the one and we're focused on the one. Come on and give God some praise this day. With every eye closed, not because it's super spiritual or it makes it any deeper connection with God, just because I want you to look within. What might God be showing you today, teaching you that you didn't know? Is there some, some area where there's been error that you thought it was all right that he's revealing to you? Is there something that God is now showing you a new path when he's saying this is, this is the correct way to go? This is how to do this. Is there an action that he's putting before you that he's saying you have to take this step? 
you're going to follow me, you have to take these steps. Whatever that is, whoever that is, in whatever capacity that is. Today, Lord, we acknowledge your presence in the hearing of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you teach us. You lead us into new ground. You show us better ways. You love us enough to correct us. But, Lord, you also believe in us enough in the image that you've placed within us of yourself. You believe in that enough to compel us to go through our own Samaritans, to take bold steps. Today, Lord, before you, we say yes. We say yes, Lord. We will follow. We'll go where you're going, and we'll do what we see you do. Because we live for you, and we love the one. It's very possible there's someone here today, and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I get it. You've never known that God is near. He's near to you. You've been chasing after your own water. You've been lugging your own jugs. You've been carrying the weight of the world. And it's no matter how much you get, it never satisfies you. And so you're back at the well daily, back at the well, of grinding it out every day, every moment, living under stress, wondering how it's all supposed to work, questioning what life is really about, questioning if you should even, if you have a purpose in life. And today what you realize is that while you've been trying to fill your jars, God comes to you with a cup that has unending potential. And he says, today, I want to give you my waters. Waters that will wash you, that will cleanse you, that will quench your thirst, that will refresh you, and they'll renew you unto an, an eternal life, a new life that begins from this point forward. Friend, if you've never accepted Jesus, here's what you need to understand. He always makes the first move, and he's making the first move now. He proved that on a cross. You see, sin is not our actions and behaviors and our thoughts. Those are a fruit of sin. Sin is a nature that we're all born with. Apart from God, we can't overcome it. We can't, we can't get past that. We will continue to mess things up. And so God in his mercy looked upon all humanity and said, I love them so much. A man broke it and a man has to fix it, so I will become a man and dwell among them. I will come to the neighborhood. And then I'm going to pay a price for sin. I'm going to assume the guilt of it even though I'm not. So that all men now have a new path. Eternal life. New life. If you believe that with us, friends, right now in this holy moment where heaven touches earth and invades your heart, if you need Jesus in your life, would you do something with us? Would you just extend your hand to heaven? Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's judging you. Nobody's shaming you, and we're not calling you up here. This is between you and God. But it is a moment of surrender. With open hands, I let go. With raised hands, I reach up. And with my heart open wide, I open my life to you. 
Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.